Amen. Well, thank you for that praise team. Some of those songs I've never heard before. Beautiful songs. Beautiful. Well done. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. And we're glad to have you here if you're visiting with us today. I can tell school's back in because the crowd's up. And so when the crowd's up, the kids got to go back to school, I'll bet. Otherwise, you're traveling all over the place. But anyways, it is good to see you in God's house today. We're glad to have you here. And we want to get into the Word of God now with the time that we have remaining. Would you take your Bibles to Mark chapter 1? Mark chapter 1. I'm going to be preaching a message today entitled, Facing Your Demons. Facing Your Demons. We're going to be looking at the operational work of demons in this particular passage of Scripture. I don't typically like to get uh, a study on demons that much. I really avoid it in most of my preaching, but I'm going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and sometimes you have to deal with this. And so the topic may feel a little heavy to you. I won't sensationalize it. Um, I don't want to sensationalize it. I do want you to see, though, the truth of what the Scriptures are trying to teach you from this passage of Scripture. So would you stand with me now as we read God's Word? I'm going to read Mark 1, verse 24, or excuse me, verse 21 to 28. Follow along now as I read. They went into Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. You may be seated. <clears throat> this is Jesus' first miracle, if you will, or first casting out of a demon. It's a very, very important portion of the book of Mark because it sets the tone for the book of Mark. And I want you to understand this, that Satan has a highly organized opposition against Christ. Demons are not disorganized. They are not chaotic. They work together. They work together. And when they come at you, they come at you in order in order. And it's important you understand that if you study the scriptures enough. Mark chapter 5, when Jesus was speaking with one demon, he asked him, what is your name? And they said, legion. They're regimented. They're organized. They come together and work together. And it's important to understand that when Satan marches he marches in the spirit of unity. I don't want you to forget that. He marches with all of his legions in a spirit of unity. That's why when the Pharisees accused Jesus of being possessed by Beelzebub when he did his miracles, they do it in the power of Satan, is what the Pharisees were trying to say. And Jesus said, Oh no, my father has a kingdom. And Satan has a kingdom, and Satan's kingdom is not divided. 
for a house divided against itself will not stand. And they understood, and Jesus understood, the importance of that. You go from Genesis to Revelation, and you will never see a demon fight with another demon. Never. You'll never see a throne fight with a throne, a dominion against a dominion, a principality against a principality, a witch against a witch. You'll never see that. They always work together in a spirit of unity. It's only when you look at church folk that you see them fighting against each other. It's an amazing thing. Preachers against preachers. Churches against churches. Brothers against brothers. Sisters against sisters. They can't seem to get along. But the, word, the truth of the Word of God is they don't understand order. Order. We need order in the house of God. And we've got to get rid of every chaotic, out-of-control spirit that seeks to cause disorder in this church. Disorder is the work of the enemy. Understand that. Disorder is the work of the enemy. And God's not the author of confusion. He says that very clearly in the book of Corinthians. He says that ultimately all, let all things be done decently and in order. Order. Order in the church house, order in the home. That's right. In your home too, there has to be order. It may get to the point where little Junior wants to challenge your order, and you're going to have to go to Junior and say, Junior, you're going to have to pull yourself together and get in line. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You're going to have to do that in your life because there's going to be brought disorder into your home. It's going to try to tear that up. And so understand that as I get into this message today. Now, in the book of Mark, chapters 1 to 8, there's a specific pattern that Jesus uses, or the book of Mark uses, and it goes from 1 to 8, and it's always in this order. There's the teaching of the Word of God by Jesus, then there is either a healing or a casting out of demons, but that's always the order that he uses for the next eight chapters, and that's important to note because that is the theme and the way he's going to accomplish that. Now, when it comes to demons specifically, I want you to understand that he is going to have to show you in the book of Mark that he can exercise power over the current rulers of this world. That's the point. That's why you have so many ex, uh, demons being cast out in the Gospels. He must break the bondage of Satan and its hold on sinners. That's why you have these stories in the Word of God. I like what one writer says, Jesus must show his cosmic authority in the world over all the evil forces to rescue sinners from the bondage of Satan that carries them to hell. Satan is trying to take as many people as he can to hell with him, and so are the demons. Now, I'm going to teach you about that today, and so I don't want to sensationalize it, but Jesus begins to pe preach to the people here in this passage of Scripture, and the people are astonished or amazed at his authority. It's an amazing thing. It says that in verse 23, just as he's preaching the Word of God, a demon-possessed man cries out immediately. It says just then, but it's, it's the same word used throughout the book of Mark. Immediately, this demon-possessed man cries out. Now, I got to thinking about this, okay? I was putting this sermon together, and this is the way that I ended up deciding to go with in my theme here. The word cry out 
means to shudder. It means to scream, especially when traumatized. So whenever demons are in the presence of Jesus, they are traumatized to the point of screaming. I want you to remember that, okay? Because that's kind of going to be the theme that I follow. So when demons speak, they're always screaming. They aren't just talking the words. They're screaming the words because they're panicked because Jesus is in town. Now, I want to just make this clear here so you, you capture this thought here, okay? Jesus is never attacked during his ministry by a demon. Jesus is never attacked by a demon. Now, demons attack the souls of sinners, unsaved people. Okay, if you're saved, a demon cannot possess you. But if you're unsaved, that's where a demon will go. He will go after the souls of sinners. But they never attack Jesus. If anything, the Bible's clear, Jesus attacks them. Jesus attacks them. So, Jesus, just by, by, Jesus, just by showing up, they are terrified. Now, I want to teach you a few things before I jump into my outline. My outline's going to be short today, but I want to teach you this, okay? They, they are always terrified, and when they get terrified, hear it now, they blow their cover. They blow their cover. They can't restrain fear, and so when fear is in them, they have to come out of the person. They have to speak out of the person. Now, get this, because I'm, 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 I just want this to be clear. This is me speaking to you as a pastor. This is not something I want you to quote, but I do want you to understand this, okay? 99% of the time, demons are invisible. 99% of the time. That's arbitrary, but I just want you to hear it. 99% of the time, demons are invisible. 1%, they are visible. And it's not so much their person that's visible, it's their actions that become visible. Okay? As a pastor over these years, I have had dealings with them maybe three or four in my entire life three or four incidences. I'm not going to tell you those. I don't, want, I don't want to get off track here with what I'm trying to say today. But 1%, they're visible with wildness, physical deformities they can cause, convulsiveness, screams, seizures, torment to themselves and others, nakedness, mutilation of self. They can demonstrate incredible feats of strength. And so these are some of the things that demons can do. But this is the thing about Jesus. Whether invisible or visible to us, Jesus always sees them. Jesus always sees them. And they must scream when they see him because of the terror in their soul over Jesus. We go a little further, okay? This isn't meant to scare you. It's just meant to teach you the truth. Demons are all around you. They are in the legions and the legions and the legions and the legions. Millions of demons. They're all around you. And most of the time, just so you know, they don't want you to know that. So they're not trying to move the clock, the hands on the clock, or trying to get this curtain to move over here. They want to stay incognito. That's important to understand this. They don't want to blow their cover. Okay? Their way of operating is to disguise themselves as angels of light. That's their main function. 
So they don't want to be visible to you. At the most, they want to stay invisible and they want to hide. Just in this passage alone, the last thing they want anybody to know is they're possessing a man in the synagogue. Because they love places like synagogues. Okay? That's very clear in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, it even says that. Uh, I just I thought I'd read this verse. But I'm not going to because I can't find it. So forget that verse, but it's in chapter 1. Okay, I'll come back to it when I find it in just a minute. All right? So uh, I'm looking at my New American, and it's lined out a little different than the King James. It's a lot easier for me to know exactly where the verses are. So anyways, they disguise themselves as angels of light, and the whole idea is they love to be in religious places. That's one of their, that's one of their hangouts is religious places. They, you, you say, well, they want to hang out in the bars. They want to hang out. Yeah, they, they're, in the, they're in places where there can be more potential for evil or murder or sin. That's definitely true. But, but demons go to religious places, religious environments, synagogues, cults, and even church. Now, what is their goal at church? They want to possess someone. They don't like to be in disembodied spirits, okay? Just like the Holy Spirit wants to possess you, so a spirit, a demon spirit, wants to possess a person, okay? They want to be in some kind of body, even animals, all right? But for the most part, they want to be in a body. And so they, they go to these places, and one of the things they want to be is they want to be in a false teacher. They want to be in somebody that will teach a half-truth of the Scripture. They don't want to teach you the whole counsel of God. They don't want you to go verse by verse and book by book and chapter by chapter. And, and by the way, that's why I'm committed to that as a pastor, because you've got to learn the whole counsel of God. Otherwise, I'd probably skip over this passage myself. But, but I just want you to see that it's important for you to understand. They're looking for half-truths. Just believe. But Jesus' message when he came was repent and believe. Just believe. Just put your faith in Jesus. You'll be okay. No, no, Jesus says there's got to be a turning from sin. So what they want to do is they want to avoid the ter- turning from sin. And you watch this in churches, okay? And they want to give you a half-truth so you don't get the whole truth to the Scriptures. And, and it's very, very attractive to most people because they avoid the whole counsel of God. And so they want to avoid certain topics, avoid certain subjects. Homosexuality comes up, well, let's, let's not talk about that. But let, let me just tell you the truth. Homosexuality, homosexuality in the scriptures is clear. Adultery is clear. Abortion is clear. But what they want to do is say, well, let, let's, not, let's not argue over that. That's political. It's being political. But the truth of the matter is, I'm, I'm telling you as I teach the scriptures to you, they don't want you getting the whole counsel of God. And so they're looking for false teachers that will just give you half-truths and not speak to you clearly from the whole representation of Scripture. And the thing about it is they're demonized. Those people then are demonized with supernatural powers. Now, if you watch them on YouTube or go to religious services, no demons are screaming, no demons are shouting, because their strategy is to hide themselves. It's consistently what you see in the scriptures. They want to hide themselves in false religion. But they have to show up. They have to expose themselves when Jesus comes. I mean, this demon has been working for years in this synagogue, and he has kept himself hidden in this one guy. 
And he loves it like that because he's just making sure the truth never gets to these people. And they only get half truths and only half things from the Word of God. And so I, I just want you to hear that very clearly. So the question I have to answer here today is, can Jesus save sinners from Satan's kingdom? Can he take them out of the kingdom of darkness into the domain of light? That's the whole point of the book of Mark. Can Jesus do this? Because Satan is trying to hold those people captive for their whole life. And so the point is, does he have the power over them? Because the Bible is clear, 1 John 5, 19. The whole world, the whole world, meaning every unsaved person, lies in the lap of the wicked one. I don't care if you're moral or you're wicked. You lie in the lap of the wicked one if you're unsaved. That's, that is just incredible to try to capture that thought. Ephesians 2, 1, you who are dead in your trespasses and sin, who who walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air that now works in the children of disobedience. That's, that's, that's what Satan does. He, he, he has a control over the world, and he works in the children of disobedience, those that don't know Jesus as their Savior. And that's what he said. You formally walk there. You formally did that. You were under his control. But Jesus Christ opened your eyes and brought you out of that. Thank God that he did. But the truth of the matter is, in order for a sinner to be liberated, the deliverer must have power over that evil kingdom. And the question is, can he tear them back out of the hands of Satan? And so that's really why you have this in the book, book of Mark. Can he dethrone Satan? See, our need is twofold. We don't just need to have a sacrifice for our sin. We need that, but that's not all we need. We need someone who can rec rescue us from the domain of Satan. Now, in this particular passage, the demons know why Jesus has come, and they know destruction is imminent for them. So more than any other time in the Bible, you see the heightened elements of demons in the Gospels. You don't see it in the epistles. You don't see it in the Old Testament that much. You mainly see it in the Gospels. And the reason is, is because they know when Jesus comes to earth, it only seals their doom. And so what they're going to try to do during Jesus' day, unlike even our day, is they are going to let all hell break loose to defeat Jesus and keep him from going to a cross. Now, I think in the tribulation period, the influence of demons comes back incredible tenfold like it did in the days of the gospel. And I think we go back into that, and if you're saved, I don't believe we're here for the tribulation period, but ultimately, I believe that that's when you're going to see the heightening again of demonic activity in ways that you only saw in the gospels. All right, having said that then, uh, let me just say that they don't want to be exposed, and they know when Jesus is there, they're exposed, and they know his invincibility is obvious to them, and they are terrified by that. So keep that in the back of your mind as I move through this, because they have to respond to his authority, all right? When I was a kid and I was eight years old, I lived 100 yards from my elementary school, and, I, and behind the elementary school was the community pool, and then there was a park. And I'd always go down to that park. I'd hang out. I'd go swimming or whatever, and I'd, I, that's where I went to hang out with my friends. And this one lady, there was houses by the park. She had a tree that grew up along her garage, and the tree hang, hang, hung over her garage like this, 
And we would go up, we'd crawl up on her roof, and we found we could take one of those branches and jump out over off the roof, and we could hang onto that branch, and it would bring us right to the ground, and then it'd slow down just for it the ground. We'd let go of the branch, and we'd say, that is the coolest thing. And so I would do that constantly. We, me and my friend Mikey, we'd go up there, and we'd jump off, hold onto the branch, come down. Well, the lady saw us out there, and she called the cops. Now, I lived in a place where there was city after city after city after city after city. You had to go 45 minutes to find a cow, okay? So it was just, but in each of these little boroughs or these little townships, as they called them, in the little townships, they had two cops for the township. Then they had cops for all the areas and the city, but they would have two designated for that. So in my area, when the cops came, there was only one or two of them, and I knew them both, all right? And so... Here comes the cop up the elementary school with his lights on, but he's not driving fast at all. He's just driving, because he knows his two kids jumping off a roof of a garage off a tree, okay? And so he pulls up, and I look at my friend Mikey. I say, Mikey, we got to go, man. It's the cops. And so we jumped off the tree, came right down, started running across the park. And about that time, me and Mikey are running out there, and he gets his little speaking uh, megaphone there, and he says, boys, stop. I look at Mike and say, don't stop, keep going, keep going. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? And so I just kept going and running, and he kept running. And then, amazing to me, he goes out on the speaker and he says, Robbie Decker and Mikey Davis, stop. <laughs> Immediately, I stopped. Not because of the cop, because of my father. I knew if he knew me, he knew my dad. And I didn't want to have to deal with that, so I stopped under the authority of that policeman, okay? This is what demons have to do because of the authority of Jesus. They know he can send them to an eternal hell, and they know that's where they're going, by the way. It's terrifying to think about. But they still have to obey his authority. And so the policeman put us two in the back seat of his car. He drove us down to the station. He put us in one of those five by 10 cells. He locked the cell. He put Mikey in one, put Robbie in the other, and he said, now, boys, if I ever call you again and you don't stop, he said, I'm going to your dad. You got it? I got it. I got it. And I never did it again. I never jumped off that roof. Now, I might have done some other things, but I'm telling you right now, I never did that again, okay? And then he got us back in his cop car, and he drove us right to our house and delivered us home. Thank goodness my dad was still at work, all right? My sister, what's that about? Oh, he's just giving us a ride through town. That's all that was. But anyways, I'm just telling you, I want you to understand that that's the only lightness you're going to get in this message today, okay? So here we go. Here's how I outline my message around that one word. And here's the outline. Why do demons scream? Why do demons scream? Number one, because of the authority of Jesus and his word. The Bible says that when Jesus spoke here in Mark chapter 1, he began to teach teach the word of God, repentance and faith. They were amazed at his teaching, for he's teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. All right, you need to understand this, okay? Demons don't like the truth. They don't like the truth of the word of God. And here comes the truth of the word of God, repent and believe. They know the truth of the word of God can liberate a sinner from their hold and from their grasp and from their clutches. So it damages Satan's kingdom. And they know apart from the word of God, no one can be rescued. Apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot be rescued, and they don't want you knowing that. 
Jesus is a traveling rabbi. He comes out of, to Capernaum, one of the most wicked towns in Israel, by the way. He steps into the pulpit as a traveling preacher, and he teaches with authority. And the people are amazed at that. This word authority is a simple word, which means rule or dominion. But it's a, it's a Gentile Greek word. It's not a Jewish word. And this is what's so hard to describe it because that's not enough. He taught with rule. He taught with dominion, all right? This word has two Greek words put together. Ex ousia. I want you to see those, okay? Ex, you know exodus, out of, all right? And then ousia is the verb to be. Out of to be, or more literally, out of being, now, what does that mean then? What, what is going on here? This is what they're trying to say. He spoke as if being out of this world. He spoke about ultimate realities. He spoke with wisdom like he was from another world. That's what it means. He spoke as if he was God himself, as if he were in charge of the universe, and they couldn't take their eyes off him, and they couldn't stop listening to Jesus. Then it says, not as the scribes. That's great. I'm glad that was thrown in, because what that means is, what scribes would do is they'd come and travel, preach there, and when they traveled, preach there, all they would do is quote other rabbis who'd quote other rabbis, and then they'd give you five interpretations to the verse, and then they would never be able to say when they talked to people, thus saith the Lord. And what the people wanted more than anything else was a thus saith the Lord. Tell me the truth. I want the truth. And that's what they got from Jesus was the truth. And they wanted that. And they were astonished and amazed. This guy speaks like he's not from this world. The word amazed there or astonished means to strike a person out of his senses by strong feelings. That's what the word amaze means, okay? Rob Decker translation, he blew their minds. That's what it means. He blew their minds. They're like, wow, this is the truth? This is what it means? Okay? Now note, this is the way you put this passage together so you can understand how to study the word for yourself, all right? It amazed the people, but it terrified the demons. It amazed the people, but it terrified the demons. The demons yelled out to the point of blowing their cover that they had kept for years in this synagogue. But what terrified them was the truth. They did not want the truth of God spoken, and they couldn't keep quiet, and they had to scream out in the synagogue. Demons know all other teachers before Jesus couldn't save anyone, and they were happy to possess people and tell them not to teach the truth, and it was working just fine. And they were keeping people captive until their damnation. And that's what the demons wanted to do. That's what it means when demons will lie to you and they have strongholds. 1 Corinthians 10 speaks of strongholds. It doesn't mean they just hold you. It means they have a stronghold on you. Doctrines that are not consistent with the Scriptures. Lusts. Lies. Spirits that want to try to control you. They have strongholds on you, and that's what they use specifically on the unsaved people, not saved people in the same way. They may influence you if you're saved, but they do not have strongholds on you like an unsaved person would. 
But I want to I want to say to you that's why you may have experienced that with certain people. You just you didn't know it, and you may not ever know it. But the truth is, truth is deadly to demonic operations. Truth is deadly to demonic operations. And the first thing that makes them screen is the authority of Christ exhibited in his word. And so Jesus comes to wipe that out and to liberate these people from sin. All right, number two, why do demons screen? Because Jesus is their judge. Jesus is their judge. Verse 24 says, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. It's like he doesn't even want to say it, but he has to. It's not like some guy acquiescing and humbly coming before Jesus. He is doing everything to show his irritation. That's why he calls him Jesus of Nazareth. It's a, it's a term of disdain. How could a Messiah come out of that lousy town, Nazareth? And so literally, he is not, they are not applauding Jesus, but they say, you are the Holy One of God. Now, why is that important? Okay, here's why that's so important. All through chapters 1-8, they just keep asking the question, who is this man? Who is this man? Who can steal waters? Who can raise the dead? Who is this guy? But the first persons to recognize the incarnation of God in Jesus are demons. The people don't recognize him as God. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and even the disciples don't know if he's God. So nobody knows if he's God, and that's why they say, who is this man? In Mark 1 to 8, but the ambassadors of hell instantly recognize him. They instantly recognize him, and they are sure who he is. Why? They knew him since they were created back at the beginning of the world. Before they rebelled against God, they worshiped him. They know who he is. I know who you are. The people are amazed and they don't know who he is. The demons are terrified, and they know who he is. But when it comes to demons, the thing about demons is they know where they're headed, and they, ha they know they have no hope. They know about the lake of fire before Jesus ever spoke about the lake of fire. They know they're going to the lake of fire, and by the way, that gives me chills to know a living being can be walking around knowing it has no hope and is going to an eternal hell. Gives me chills to think about that. They used to worship Jesus in heaven. And ever since they've been thrown out of heaven, they know where they are going, and they have to scream when they think about it. They are terrified by it. They can't resist screaming. Ironically, isn't it interesting that people who are not demons but are people like you and I who don't know Jesus don't scream at all about their eternity? Demons scream over their destination. They know Jesus is the only power as a judge to send them there. And I want you to get this, okay? They are irredeemable. They don't get no, ch no second chance. They're irredeemable. Now, I spent about 10 minutes in my office thinking about this, and it really bummed me out, to be honest with you. But I thought to myself, what if I was irredeemable, and I'm walking around on this earth, and I, I don't have a hope of heaven, and I can never have a chance to go there? That's what a demon has to live with every day. That's why they scream. I, 
I got to think, what would I do? What would I be like? What would I be like as a person? But even, I, I certainly wouldn't want to stay here and pastor. I, I got to thinking, I bet I'd be mean as a snake if I knew I was going to hell. I wouldn't be, want to be going, you know, try to do some good things. I wouldn't want to do any good things. I'd kill, I'd lie, I'd be a loner, I wouldn't want a family, I'd have no peace, I'd have no joy, I'd try to destroy everything I could, I'd be wretched. I may even stay in this church and pretend to be who I'm not and make you out like I'm a good guy and try to get you to follow me. Because if I'm going to hell, you're going to hell. That's how a demon thinks. If I'm going to hell, you're going to hell. That's a sobering thought. And it gives me chills. And I thought about it for five minutes. It made me sick in my stomach. So I just stopped. And then I said, hallelujah, what a savior. I'm staying on the straight and narrow. Okay, third one and I'm done, okay? Why do demons scream? Why do demons scream? Because of Jesus' power. Because of Jesus' power. He looks at this demon and the Bible says, he says in verse 25, be quiet and come out of him. Now, that's a nice translation, and most translations in the English are nice translation, but that's not the Greek. And I know we should never talk like this but it, because it's disrespectful, but Jesus is looking at those demons, and he's saying, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Be muzzled like an animal. Be muzzled like an animal. I don't want to hear any more from you. Come out of him. This is a small taste of the very power that's going to send them to the lake of fire one day. Come out of him. Just giving a small command to them, but that's a big, that's a little taste for them of what their doom will be like. Now, why is Jesus doing this? I just want you to note a couple things here, and I'm going to close, okay? There's no dialogue. There's no rosary beads. There's no incantations. There's no quotes. There's no smoke. And let me just make it clear to you. There's no exorcism. There's no exorcism. It's just absolute power. There's no such thing as an exorcism today. It's just absolute power. Jesus just spoke. And under the authority of Jesus' word, he said, come out of him. And he gave that authority to the disciples, and he said, whenever you deal with the demon, you just speak in the name of Jesus to come out. That's it. You don't need to learn or go to a class or go to a school or try to figure this thing out. That's all you do if you feel there's a demonic oppression, is just speak the name of Jesus, and that's it. Gave that power to the disciples. They just spoke in the power of Jesus' name. Look at every one of them in the New Testament. Demon then protests into convulsions and seizures, and he slams the man around and gives his final protest, but he submits. I'm standing up on the outside, Jesus, but I'm sitting down on the inside. That's kind of the spirit of this demon. Now, why do demons do that before they leave people? You need to understand this. Satan never gives up anybody without a fight. He's not going to give up anybody. Without a fight. Jesus, absolute power. He's Messiah, King, Savior. He has the power to break Satan's power, and he can deliver souls. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 27 says, then again, they're amazed, and everybody starts asking each other, what is going on? Who is this guy? What authority does he do? How does he teach like this? Who is this? 
But Jesus spoke in power and he demonstrated power over earth's most powerful forces, Satan's kingdom. Now, my conclusion, simply put, what makes demons scream is the authority of Christ. That makes them scream. And it should terrify you as well. It should terrify you as well. And it should terrify sinners too. The difference is that sinners don't understand the reality of their doom. Jesus doesn't want you just astonished. Okay? He doesn't want you just amazed with him. He wants you to fear him as a judge first. And if you come to Christ, the first thing you'll feel is fear that you're under the condemnation of God and you're going to go to a hell like demons. So the first thing you experience when you come before a holy God is, I'm guilty and my sin deserves judgment. And so the first thing you should feel is fear as a judge, but then you should run to him as a savior. You run to him as a savior. That's what I like about that. Jesus put on a power display that was shocking. The tragedy is it amazed the people, but they will still go to hell. Uh, terrified demons and astonished people both go to the same hell. So it's not good enough to just be astonished about Jesus if they don't repent and believe. And you can't repent without a holy fear. You just can't repent without a holy fear. The demons knew who he was, but they could not be saved. The people didn't believe who he claimed to be, and they would not be saved. So what is necessary, if you get this passage, is a combination of both. A combination of both. Amazed at such a savior, but terrified at such a judge. Amazed at a savior, terrified at a judge. That's the truth of the scripture, fear him as a judge, but run to him as a savior. That's your only hope. Let's pray. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we're gonna come and do a closing song here. I know the heaviness of this message, the heaviness of this material. But I, as best I could, describe to you the truth of the Word of God. And if you're here and you've never claimed the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never put your faith in Him, the first thing you should feel is a fear that you're under the condemnation of a holy God. And that without His sacrifice on Calvary for your sin, you will go to an eternal hell. That is terrifying. But Jesus Christ went to a cross and he died for your sins. And in his mercy, he lets you understand all of this. The demons are trying to keep you from all of this, but Jesus wants you to know all of it. He's revealed it to you. And if you're here and you've never had that opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and believe him as your savior, and you'd like to do that right now, would you just lift up your hand right where you are? Just hold it up so I can see it. Just hold it up high so I can see it. Yes, I see that. Is there, is there another one? Is there another? Just hold it up and say, you know, that's me. I got to get saved. Is there another one? Just, just hold it up. Hold it up so I can see it. Okay, I'm just going to pray for that one. If you, if you held your hand up, I want you to pray this prayer. 
Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Man, I sense that fear. I don't want to go to hell. But you sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. I trust you as my Lord and my Savior right now. Save me. And help me to be the person you want me to be. You just prayed that prayer. You just received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I saw one hand. I don't know if I could see any other. But we want to help you. We want to see you grow. Let us know. Let us know. I just received Christ today. There's a little card you can just fill out. You can do it online through that QR code. But just let us know so we can help you in your walk and your faith with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here and you're saved, you don't have to have any fear of being possessed by a demon. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, you cannot have light fellowshipping with darkness. Now, can you be influenced by a demon? Yes. There's evils that exist in this world. But I'm just telling you that Jesus knows. And he set a power in you that's greater than anything you could face in this world. Is there influences around you to go towards sin and away from God? Yes. And you do have to fight those. And there's pools because there's nothing more the demons would like than to see you humiliated and to humiliate your Savior. So today I just want you to enjoy what you have. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, knowing you can have eternal life. And you do have eternal life in Jesus. So just celebrate that in your life today as you think about it. And think there are people, there are persons out there that can never have that hope. Father, I lift up this time. Your word. Try to be as faithful as I can to it. To speak it straightforward. May we rejoice in what we have in you. I give you all the glory and honor for your authority and power over all these things that we face. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen.